0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. And get ready to receive a word from God. Where I want to go this weekend and the next two nights is I want us to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God. We're going to look specifically at the role of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to the kingdom. Now, I got to remind you of a few things, so let's just take some time. These are going to be more teaching oriented, so we're going to really drill down on some points, got to get some things across. I'll remind you of some things that we've hit on. Um, I see new faces as well, and so we're just going to make sure that we keep this thing all in context. The thing you've got to remember is the kingdom is not a religion. The kingdom is a government. Okay, a kingdom is a government system. Jesus is more political than you think. The Bible is more political than you think. I I had uh, someone tell me recently that someone they spoke with that they knew visited our church. I don't know if it was recent or how long. And one of their statements back to this person that I know, so I don't know who the individual was that, that visited. But they made this statement to my friend. They said, yeah, he was just a little too political. So, you know, my, my question back was this, was it political or was it biblical? See, here's the thing, and we've got to be careful with this now, is we've got, the, we've got these statements, keep politics out of the church and can't get political. And, and, and I know what they mean in a sense, but, but here's what's happening. This is what's shifting in our culture is we're taking things now that were biblical making them political, and then telling the church we can't touch it, okay? So you got to understand, before it was political, it was biblical. And I'm going to hit on all that kind of stuff. You want to talk about Roe versus Wade? You want to talk about uh, racial reconciliation? You want to talk about those aren't political subjects. Those are biblical subjects, and they're not going to let culture hijack it and tell me I can't touch it. Y'all with me? Okay? Okay. So I'm just letting you know, where. if it sounds political to you, we might need to just re, retrain our thinking, renew our mind a little bit, and I would just ask the question, is it really political or is it biblical that someone's hijacked and now telling the church we can't touch a subject that the Bible very clearly outlines? Life begins at a certain state, and it is considered life all the way up until it is conceived, but even before you see it, I mean, there's a reason why you call it you're expecting. Amen. I mean, wait, you know, I'm not going to get on it. not going to get on your political rant, but this stuff is more biblical than we think. God has a lot to say about the things that the, that the world wants to tell us we don't have any business touching and talking about. And when you come to understand the kingdom of God, you understand that it, it, this, is, this is a government system. I mean, when I make this statement, it always floors people that the answer, God's answer for the world today is government. It's just not the broken man-made systems of government that we've created. We've messed it all up. But God put a government system in place, a kingdom with a king. A kingdom is literally this, a king's domain. It is a territory that a king rules over. That's literally what a kingdom is. Now, when we talk about kingdom, honestly, on the face of the planet, Americans are the first, or the, the hardest ones to break through. Because you know what the most dangerous word is in the kingdom? Independence. That's <laughs> the most dangerous word. Any time you start operating independently of the king, now we're operating separate or out of alignment of what God put in place. I mean we've got countless uh, uh, examples in the Bible of individuals that decided to walk independently of the king, beginning in Genesis chapter three. Eating of that fruit was a sign of independence from the king. It was a statement of God said, don't do this, but I'm going to do this. And we immediately walked independently of what God had put in place, a structure that was designed to protect us. And we were deceived into thinking that God was withholding something when God was actually protecting us from something. And so... When we, when we start talking about the kingdom of God, our, our American democratic mindset starts showing up because guess what? In a kingdom, you don't vote on stuff. Jesus can't be voted in and he can't be voted out. Jesus is Lord. Now, whether or not you make him Lord of your life, that's up to you. But at the end of the day, he is Lord. And this is what he's, this is what he's put in place. His word Uh, in essence, would be our constitution. It tells us our rights. It tells us our benefits. It's a law that that tells us right and wrong. It helps identify those things. And so, you know, a lot of the parallels you'll find, um, but at the end of the day, the the kingdom's far greater than any man-made system we could see on this planet. Our our country operates in maybe the, the best Um, ability of government that we have seen on the planet to to date, but it still pales in comparison to what God's kingdom was designed to provide. Amen. Amen. And so God set up a kingdom, which means that Jesus, honestly, he didn't come as a religious figure. Jesus didn't come to establish Christianity. You won't find that in, in scripture. Jesus didn't come and said, I'm bringing a religion. He says, I'm coming to bring a kingdom. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so Jesus came to restore a kingdom that man lost when he voluntarily sinned against God and handed over. You understand this kingdom is so valuable that the devil went after Adam and Eve to get what he wanted. He wanted what? God to bow down and submit to him, God to bow down and worship him, right? And so he sees Adam and Eve and he deceives them. And Adam and Eve, by their voluntary transgression, hand over the authority. The Bible actually tells us that Satan now is the ruler or the God of this world. And we see the decay, we see the depravity, we see what's in place because he is now in charge. But Jesus showed up and he came to restore that kingdom. And he came to restore you and I back into that kingdom in the place we were designed to be. I've used this example before. I'm gonna use it again because it's a great illustration. You know, when it comes to the word restore, you know, the word re or or the the prefix re, that means again. That means to store again in its original place. So if my Bible is is on this podium, and it falls to the floor, right? It's fallen. It's now left its original location, the place it was originally stored. And I take this Bible, and I place it here on this chair. Have I restored the Bible? Where do I have to place the Bible to restore it? Back on the podium, back in its original place. If Jesus came and died on a cross for your sins, rose again, so that when you die, you go to heaven, you have not been restored because man was never in heaven. Man wasn't in heaven. Adam and Eve weren't wandering the planet. Oh, when's Jesus coming back through the clouds? When he's taking us up to glory? When are we going to walk those streets of gold? Where's my mansion at? I want to go live and dwell where God is. You won't find that in scripture you find that man was created on the earth for the earth. Let man rule. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth was to come under man's subjection. And so man fell, not from heaven, because he wasn't in heaven. If I asked you this question, if Adam and Eve never sinned, Where would they be today? Right here. Planet Earth. The big green and blue ball that is three planets away from the sun, perfectly aligned so that you and I can live and dwell on it. And they'd be right here ruling and reigning, exercising dominion, governing the earth. Managing the affairs of the earth. Psalms chapter 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But then if you go to Psalms 115 verse 16, it says that the heavens belong to God, but he has given the earth to you and I, to the sons of man. So I don't own the earth, but I am managing it. I'm not in charge, but I am in control. Because we love statements like God is in control. God is in control. God is in control of one thing. He's in control of his word. And so by his word, he delegated the authority of the affairs of the earth to you and I, to Adam and Eve, to mankind. So back to Jesus. Jesus, if he came to restore us to heaven, well, that wouldn't be the definition of restoration. The definition of restoration is to place back in its original location is to give you and I the authority that man lost when he sinned. And now we operate, this is why Jesus walked on water. He exercised authority over water, the earth. This is why he can multiply bread. Bread comes from the earth. This is why he can cast out demons. This is why he could heal sick bodies. This is why he could raise the dead, because he was exercising his dominion. And the great thing, the the most amazing thing about Jesus' ministry is he did not come to show you and I what he could do. Jesus came to show us what we can do. Amen. Jesus came to show you, be a living example. This is what a man in authority looks like. Now, our authority will only operate as far as our submission. This is important. Our authority can only operate as far as our submission. What's that mean? If I fail to remain under authority, I will be removed from authority. If I fail to remain under authority, I'm now what? Working independently. There's that word again our favorite word, we have a whole day for it, right? Independence Day. And thank God for it. But when it comes into the kingdom, that kind of mindset will cause us to be ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom of God. Now I have to work. recognize I'm not independent. I am in dependence of the king. Jesus made the statement. He said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I only do what The father tells me. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I'm a direct representation. I am a reflect. You can can know the, the value, the mind, the heart of God just by watching me. I'm not independent of him. I'm literally in step, synchronization, lockstep with what the father, the king wants. If the king speaks it, I do it. If the king says, go there, I go there. If the king says, stay here, I stay here. If the king says, say that, I say that. If the, if the king says, give this, I give that. I'm in lockstep with the king. I'm not independent of the king. I'm not doing anything outside of my father's will. Even when he was in the garden, he made the statement. If there's any way for this cup to pass, meaning he had another way. He, his, his, his mind's going. He's thinking, you know, we could try to do it this way. and we, But not my will, but your will. Why? You're a king. And as a king in a kingdom, my authority will only go as far as my submission. I've got to remain submitted to the king. I've got to remain under authority so that I can remain in authority. And a lot of people today on this planet are walking in subjection to the thing that they're supposed to be ruling over. See, this, this is why substances are dangerous, because we are bowing down to something that should be bowing down to us. Hello? I mean, you know, nicotine, alcohol, substances of the earth. I give you one that maybe you, you don't think about money. Money is paper. They print it off in the basement of the Congress every night, don't they? It grows on trees. And people are submitted, they're bowing down to money rather than money. And how am I supposed to exercise over authority over something that I'm submitted to? If it's reigning over me, I can't reign over it. Okay, so this is, this, is, this is kingdom. This is this kingdom lens. And if you look throughout Jesus's ministry, he, he talked nonstop about this kingdom. In fact, he talked about the kingdom so much and so thoroughly that, that literally they were looking for him to raise up a natural kingdom. When is that kingdom coming? When are you establishing that kingdom? It says in one passage that they, they try to take hold of him to make him king. And it says that he slipped from their midst. Because he wasn't coming here to bring a natural kingdom. He was coming here to bring a spiritual kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, a supernatural kingdom. He wasn't here. He wasn't coming here to overthrow, you know, natural governments of the earth. He was here to bring the kingdom of God. And so we we understand that with this kingdom lens, now I view God different. I, under, I, I, I view his kingdom different. I understand Jesus differently. And now tonight, we're going to drill down on the role of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God. I want to start back here in Genesis chapter 1. It's always good to start at the beginning. Amen? Don't you like we start at the beginning? Starting halfway is just not going to cut it. we got to get to the beginning. And Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 literally says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And this is what it says. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We're only two verses in and we already see this Spirit in motion. In fact, in these two verses, we have all three parts of the Trinity in motion. We have God the Father. We have Jesus. How? Because Jesus was the Word made flesh. Before Jesus was Jesus in the flesh, He was the Word of God. And it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. If you jump down to uh, jump over to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, we know uh, later on in this chapter as we go through creation, we create the, the, the earth, we create the trees and the stars and the moon and the animals, and we get to day six and God creates man. I would just submit this to you based on the role of man and based upon the authority that God gave to man. If God had created, on, if God had created man on any day earlier, man would have finished creation. Verse 26, 28, he says, let them have dominion. And in that moment, this might be a weird statement, but this is Kingdom Rise weekend, and we, we drill down on weird statements. We're, we're breaking religious ideologies and thinking. This is, this is where we bash through those things. And in that moment, God removed himself from doing anything in the earth without using mankind. Let them have dominion. So guess what? When he wanted waters parted, I need a man. Where's Moses? When I need a giant killed, where's a man? I need David. When I need to free my people uh, from, from bondage, where's Esther? And I give you one more. When I need to redeem mankind from their sins, now we got a problem. Because God was the only one that could redeem man from their sins. But God's the only one that can't redeem man from their sins. So that's, that's a dilemma. So God says, Guess I'm going to have to find a way to get myself in flesh. Let them have dominion. Who's them? Mankind. A spirit possessing a soul living in a body. God is spirit. John chapter 4 verse 24 tells us God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God's missing a capacity. He's missing a flesh suit like you and I have. But yet that's who he gave dominion to. So he says, I'm going to have to put on flesh. And of course, we know that that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was 100% God and 100% flesh. And when God needed to redeem mankind, he still had to find a man. He has to follow his word. If he breaks his word, then he can break any of it. If he breaks one word, he becomes a liar. And God isn't uh, looking for plan B. God's trying to get us back to plan A. Amen. Amen. There is no plan B with God. He says, my original intent was for man to rule the earth and to bring my my domain, my realm, heaven, into that atmosphere, into the affairs of mankind, into the earth. And that's what I'm going to get them back to. That's what I'm going to restore them back to. So from the beginning of time, God has used you and I to alter history, to to alter the things and oversee the affairs of this planet. Well, after he created man in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us this in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That breath in the Hebrew is actually the word pneuma. It's the same word that we use for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament or for the Spirit of God. He literally breathed his spirit into man. And that's when man became a living creature that's when man came alive, meaning that it was the spirit of God and the breath of God that was sustaining man and allowing him to fulfill and walk out his purpose from the beginning. Well, after man sinned in Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter six says this in verse one. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives as they chose, any that they chose. Verse three says this, then the Lord said, my spirit, y'all see that's a capital S, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. And at this point, God realizes my My spirit can no longer, one version says, strive with man, compete with man, meaning we've got different. Uh, agendas and different plans going on here. Man does not have the desires of bringing heaven to earth. Man does not have the desires of remaining submitted to me as king. Man is, does not want to uh, bring heaven to earth and see my will done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I will not strive. I will not compete with this agenda. I will remove my spirit from the earth. Not long after this that, that we see the, the great flood show up wipe out the entire planet except for Noah and uh, his family and then two of every animal, right? Bringing them on the ark and, and we start this whole thing over. You notice that God is in the business of starting over. Let's get this thing right. We are, he's not trying to wipe the earth. At no point does he say, man, you know what? That, that, that plan failed, my bad. I gave you too much uh, authority, too much power. Uh, man, just, let's just bring them all to heaven and just call this thing a day. No, you won't find that. You'll find even with Moses, he, 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 there's one point where he gets so angry with the Israelites and they're grumbling and, compl- and complaining. He tells Moses, just get out of the way. I'll wipe them out. And he makes this statement and I will start over with you. I'll make a nation out of you. Isn't that amazing? He's trying, God is still so long suffering and still so patient and still so merciful with with mankind, even in our fallen state that he says, I just want to get this thing restored back to the way it was. And so throughout the Old Testament, what you see is mankind operating without the spirit of God. Because this is the thing, God's spirit and sin do not cohabitate. God's spirit and sin will not cohabitate. You're either going to pursue the things of God or you're going to pursue the things that are not of God. And in that case, man full of sin, man in a fallen state, man in a sinful state, God says, I've got to remove my spirit. Now the spirit would come upon in the Holy, in, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain individuals, prophets, Priests and kings, prophets, priests, and kings. And they needed this spirit of God to do supernatural wonders. We have the raising of the dead in the Old Testament. We have the multiplying of food in the Old Testament. We have the slaying of entire armies. Samson was full of the spirit. David was full of the spirit. Deborah was full of the spirit. Gideon was full of the spirit. Even in their fallen state, they were full of the spirit or the spirit of God came upon them. You can go back and look at each of those individual accounts. The spirit would come upon individuals, but still that wasn't what God wanted. That wasn't God's original intent. God's intent was that my spirit consume man so that man can carry out the purposes of the kingdom. Remember, the spirit was necessary so man could fulfill his assignment. The Spirit was necessary so that man could accomplish bringing something supernatural to a natural, bringing the unseen to the seen, bringing heaven to earth. We needed the Spirit of God. The Old Testament is a sad case and a sad state of individuals that are striving without the Holy Spirit, without God's Spirit. And so Jesus shows up. And I want to jump over to John chapter, John chapter 14 because this is what we're going to understand about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the kingdom. Jesus, just before he is uh, arrested and crucified and killed, in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15, he begins to introduce his disciples. Now, Jesus is here in the earth. He's here in the earth for three and a half years, 33 and a half years, but three and a half years doing ministry. And here's one thing. I, I should have put it in there, but you can mark this down. Matthew chapter three, just, just mark it down. Jesus is baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And when he comes up out of the water, a couple of things happen. There's a booming voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's before Jesus did any ministry. But there's another interesting thing that takes place in this chapter. When he comes up out of the water, something descends upon him. Y'all remember that? In the body, form, or the image of a dove. What was that? The Holy Spirit. Now, I got to ask you a question. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, what makes us think we can do it without him? If the men in the Old Testament, if Moses needed the Holy Spirit, David needed the Holy Spirit, Gideon needed the Holy Spirit, Samson needed the Holy Spirit, Deborah needed the Holy Spirit, Daniel needed the Holy Spirit, and now Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. Who are you and I to think that's too weird, that's too kooky, that's too flaky, I, I, you know, just get me the salvation prayer, let me just be as good of a person as I can and one day when I die, I'll leave this planet and I'll go to heaven. And if that's what you wanna do, that's fine, you don't need the Holy Spirit. But if you wanna do ministry on this planet, Jesus set the precedent, you need to have the Holy Spirit come upon you. Jesus, the Son of God, 100% God. Said I, and and remember before when he's baptized, I mean he hasn't he hasn't turned water into wine, he hasn't done one miracle, he hasn't preached one message. We have no record of that until the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Now that Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. He's tempted uh, forty days, and then the first miracle he does is turning water into wine. What's that? Taking authority over the earth. We out of something. Well, we'll take this and we'll turn it into that. Amen. But not one of those miracles, not one of those messages, not one of those astounding signs and wonders shows up until he first is filled and has the Holy Spirit come upon him. So now Jesus, through his ministry, is doing these works, doing these signs, doing these wonders. You know, the the disciples at at some point, they, they were given this same authority and this same power, right? to go and do these signs and to do these wonders. But in John chapter 14, he begins talking to them now about this Holy Spirit. He's introducing them to the person of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Here it is, verse 17. Even the Spirit, Of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. If we go on down to verse 26 in this same chapter, John chapter 14 and verse 26. He says this, but the helper, we saw that earlier, right? Now he goes a little more in detail. The helper, the Holy Spirit, right? Whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. If we go over one chapter to John chapter 15 in verse 26. John 15 in verse 26. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified because it's going to break it down just a little bit more for us. This is what it says. But when the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby, when he comes whom I will send to you from the Father. Where? From the Father. The Spirit of truth who comes or proceeds from the Father, he himself will testify regarding me. And you also will testify and be my witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. And if you'll go to John chapter 16, I want to look at verse 13. John chapter 16 and verse 13. You ought to see a pattern here. But when He, the Spirit of truth, the truth-giving Spirit, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, the whole truth, full truth. He will not speak His own message on His own authority, but He will tell whatever He hears from the Father, He will give the message that he has been given, uh, that has been given to him. Notice that the Holy Spirit's not coming and just speaking whatever he wants, sharing whatever's on his heart. Just, you know, so many times we say uh, that something came by the Spirit or I need a word from the Spirit or I need a prophetic word or whatever. But what we're really looking for is something that is not God's word. Sometimes we're looking for a word that goes along with our feelings or with our desires, or with our preferences. And when the word starts to confront things, uh, we want to go find someone to give us a different word. Well, but by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get a word different or other than what his word already says. Just as Jesus said, I do not speak on my own initiative. Guess what? The Holy Spirit does not speak on his own initiative. You're going to see a consistency here. We all back the king. We're all here from the king. He will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the father. He will give the message that has been given to him and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. He will honor and glorify me because he will take of, receive, draw upon what is mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, and transmit it to you. This is the Holy Spirit. Now, in the kingdom, we're still talking kingdom. We're not talking religion. We're not talking Christianity. We're talking kingdom. We're talking a government. The Holy Spirit has a role in the government system of God. If God is king and Jesus comes as a king to restore a kingdom, then the Holy Spirit must have a role, a role within that kingdom. And the Holy Spirit's role in the kingdom of God is this. He is the governor of the kingdom of God. Now here we got to understand some things. He is the governor. A governor does not reside in the home country or the home nation. I'm going to give you a natural example. At the time of Jesus's Uh, coming into the world, when he came into that region in Judea, Judea was taken over. It had actually gone through a cycle of being taken over uh, by the Persians, by the Greeks, uh, and eventually when Jesus shows up, it's under Roman rule. But the Romans had a different tactic to their Uh, the Roman government was one of the greatest governments and greatest militaries and greatest campaigns that this earth has ever seen. I need you to understand this concept. When the Romans would take over a nation, let's take the Babylonians, for example. Remember Daniel and his friends uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember, the Babylonians came into their territory took them as slaves, and took them back to the home country of Babylon. Remember? And Daniel and his three friends became trusted advisors to the king. And then the king tried to make them eat certain foods. And and they said, give us 10 days, let us eat our, our, our regular diet. And if we're not as strong or wise, as strong or even stronger than your own people, then we'll go to eat in your diet. Remember that? Well, the Romans didn't operate that way the Romans would go into a territory, overtake it, and then they would do something. It was a term called colonization, where they would go into that territory, leave those people there, but they would turn that territory into Roman territory. And this is why the Roman campaign was so forceful forceful and expansive, because they weren't taking captives and bringing them back to their home, to Rome. They were going in and they were turning it into little Rome, little Rome, everywhere. And they were changing it. They were changing the influences. They were changing the culture. They were changing the behaviors. They were changing the language. They were changing the expectations. And in this realm of Judea where Jesus is born and Jesus grows up and Jesus does his ministry, there was a governor in that area. Would y'all happen to remember his name? Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor. And the purpose of the governor was to instill and implement the culture and nature of the home country in a new territory. You got to stay with me because this is why we miss out on the Holy Spirit. This is why we think the Holy Spirit's unnecessary because we have this mindset, I'm leaving here and going there. But when you reverse that and you recognize that you're in the earth not to seek out heaven so you can go there, but to seek out heaven so you can bring it here. Then you realize I need someone to help me learn the culture, the nature, the behaviors, the ways, the expectations of the home country. And now the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus says he will will remain with you, abide with you, live with you, stay with you. And he will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will remind you of what what I've been saying this whole time. And he will show you things to come. Now, when you change culture, there's a lot of things that change with that. One of the first things that changes in a culture when a a country would take over a new country, one of the first things that would change in that culture, in that territory, is their language. They would now teach them the home country's language. This has happened time over time, just in the natural, where a, a, a country or a territory will take over another territory in conquest, in battle, And one of the first things they'll do is you're not going to speak that way anymore. You're going to learn our language. You used to speak Spanish. Now you're going to learn Italian. You used to speak this way. Well, isn't it amazing when the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 2? What's the first thing that changed? They began to what? Speak with other tongues. You know what tongues really is at the end of the day? It's your native language of the home country and the Holy Spirit comes to alter that language so you no longer talk like your area down here, the culture down here. You learn a new language and he learned, he teaches you a new culture. You know what it's called? Fruits of the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. He begins to teach you the culture. He even begins to show you things to come. What's that? Expectations. When you get a new culture, you get new behaviors. You used to live according to this way, but now you're going to live according to this way. Jesus would make a statement you know, um, you say, you know, if you, if you murder a man, you're, you're convicted of murder. But if you just hate a person in your heart, that's a whole new standard that he's introducing to them. He's introduced into them a a whole new way to love people, a whole new way to treat people, a whole new expectation. He's he's setting all this. You know, patterns change. Patterns change when you get a new culture. You can't drive on the same side of the road in England that you do over here. Now, we wouldn't accept this in, in in a natural standpoint. We wouldn't go to another country and expect their culture to bow to us, but yet, We have sinners come into the kingdom that expect that all the time. No, when I come into the kingdom, the Holy Spirit comes and and, and we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, have the Holy Spirit come upon us to empower us and to equip us, but also to begin to shift and shape us into the new culture of heaven. A governor exists for the purpose of teaching you the culture and the ways of the homeland. That's why you have a governor. And they're there to instill that. They're there to implement that. They're there to uh, curb your your old natural ways of doing things and saying, "We, we don't do that around here. When you fully submit to the governor of the kingdom of God, when you fully submit to the governing capacity of the Holy Spirit, you will be more aware of heaven than you are of the earth. You will be more aware of how heaven does things than you are of how the world does things. Now that takes time. Renewing the mind, transforming our life. But he's teaching us little by little. Hey, we, we, we used to do it that way, but, but let me show you how we do it in the homeland, in the home country. Now, you might remember earlier this year, we taught on ambassadors. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador is not a religious term, it's a government term. Our own country, the United States has ambassadors. If you remember, one of the key principles of an ambassador is they do not speak of their desires, of their interests, of their preferences. They only speak regarding what the homeland. If we, have an, if we have an ambassador in China that says, you know, this is what the this is what our president wants. You know, if you're asking me, you know, that's not really not really how I would do it. No, they can't do that. Well, guess what? A governor operates the same exact way. A governor does not get to, uh, he, he, he does not get to uh, deviate from what the word of the king is. He doesn't get to express his own interests. See, it, it should be very easy for us to identify a word of, of the spirit or a word in the spirit or even a, a prophetic word. Because it will align with the word. We just read that he will not speak of his own message on his own authority, but he will tell whatever he hears from the father. He will give the message that has been given to him. So he's not going to speak out of line of what the father wants. If the Holy Spirit's telling it to you, you ought to know this is what the king wants. This is what the father wants. Now, here's the thing. God is king, God is in heaven. Jesus is king, he was on this earth, but when he died and ascended, where did he go? Back to heaven, seated at the right hand of the father. The Holy Spirit has been sent to us. Notice that God was more interested in getting something to you than getting you there. In John chapter 17, I don't have this marked down, but in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. And he's praying to the Father. This is just before his arrest. And he makes this statement, Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Let's just find the verse. We're we're already in John. We're already in John 16. So let's just jump on over to John chapter 17. You got, your, you got your, your Bible or your device that contains your Bible. So we can just pull it up here real quick. John chapter 17 and verse 15. Just so you can see, these words are in red. This is Jesus speaking. And, 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 and this, this prayer and this verse might seem so foreign that it might be. Did he really say that? It's right here. You can see it for yourself. John chapter 17 and verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. But yet when we pray the salvation prayer, what's the first thing we say? Do you know where you would go when you... We start with an exit plan. Salvation is an exit strategy for a lot of people. I'm not saying you're not going to go to heaven. I'm just saying that wasn't the purpose and the intent for coming into the kingdom of God. And now we've got people more focused on getting somewhere rather than getting somewhere down here. So he says this I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil in the world. What's that mean? Don't allow them to become engrossed with the culture around them, keep them in the midst of it but have them be so ingratiated with the culture of the kingdom that they can now be agents of change in the culture around them. But he didn't pray that you and I would be taken out of the world. He prayed that you and I would remain right in the midst of it, in its brokenness, in its decay, in its depravity, in its uh, you know, filth, in, in its hatred, in its wrath, in its malice, in its immorality, in the midst of all of it. He says, I need them right in the midst of it. I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but fill them with the Holy Spirit so that they become so consumed with heaven that they bring it to their world and bring it to their environment that I'm leaving them in and that I'm keeping them in. Man, isn't this so good? See, when you start seeing this with the kingdom lens, you start seeing that, that th- this plan that God is up to, uh, ha- has been up to all this time is it- so much different, so much greater, so much better. The reason why so many of us is, as believers are making statements like, I know there's got to be more. Anybody ever made that statement in your life at some point? That, Man, there's got to be more. The kingdom is the more. The kingdom is, I'm not, I don't, I'm not talking about denomination. I'm not talking about if you were Baptist or Pentecostal or charismatic. Or, and I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about until you see the kingdom for what it is and what God's original plan was, we're missing an element. It just doesn't feel like you're, you're fitting. It doesn't feel like there's, you're looking at the puzzle and you're like, there's still a spot right. What is the missing link? What's the missing puzzle piece? It's the kingdom of God. We've been misusing and, 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 and abusing. See, this is the thing is intimacy is not developed by proximity. It's developed by knowledge. Being close to the Holy Spirit doesn't make me more aware or, or closer to him. It's getting to know him. And many of us have failed to get to know Him, or maybe even been taught that that's not for today, or that was for certain people, or, or that's for a time far off. But we're we're talking about something that that how could God be a, re, a not be a respecter of persons and only give access to the Holy Spirit to some people and not to others? And we're seeing the crucial need for believers to walk in and know the Holy Spirit intimately, the Person of the Holy Spirit. It would be the the ploy of the enemy, the deception of the enemy, the tactic of the enemy to make you afraid of the very person you need to defeat him. Wouldn't that just be just the way the enemy would want it, that you and I are more fearful of the Holy Spirit? Because he knows what you become and he knows what you would do if you get filled with him and become close to him and intimate with him. Wouldn't that just be the ploy of the enemy? Yeah, absolutely. So these disciples, Jesus is making these statements. He's letting them know, I'm getting ready to leave you. In John chapter 16 and verse 6, I skipped this for a reason because I still wanted to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. But in verse 6, he makes a very interesting statement. Verse 7 he does, but in verse 6 we're going to start and he says this, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts, taking complete possession of them. Said what? He's talking about his departure. He's talking about his, his, his arrest. He's talking about what's going to happen to him. He's talking about I've been with you, but I'm going to leave. I'm going to be with the Father. And now I can tell sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has taken over. And you know what? When when we start looking at the depravity of mankind and we start looking at our role in this earth, you know what? The same thing happens. Sorrow or or maybe even a hopelessness. What what can we what how can we really affect change in this lost and broken world? I mean, every news report comes out, and, and more and more you're just like, Jesus, what you waiting for? Come on. How bad does it have to get? Because it, it's looking pretty. Doom and gloom right now. I get it. Naturally, it's like, man, there's nothing. How are we going to change this? How are we going to alter this? He says, I can tell already, sorrow has filled your hearts. But this is what I want you to know in verse 7. However, I am telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, and advantageous that, that I go away, for you that I go away. The New King James reads, reads, it's to your advantage that I go. Now that sounds like a crazy statement. To when, when he's walked this earth with these disciples for three and a half years, and they've seen him do the signs and the wonders and the miracles, and, and, and he says, it's actually, you're going to be better off without me. You and I have it better than Half of the men and women in this book. We're gonna to get to heaven, we're gonna ask Moses what it was like to part water. We're gonna to get to heaven and ask Samson what it was like to have that mighty strength. We're gonna to get to heaven and ask David what it was like to slay a giant. And they're gonna look back at us and they're gonna say, Tell us what it was like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we have it better. It's to our advantage. That he goes. He says, if I don't, where are we at? For that I I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you into close fellowship with you. He's talking about that intimacy, guys. He says, but if I go away. I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. I asked the question again, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, who are we to think that we don't? And he's telling his, I mean, God, this, this, this is the last supper. This is the last conversation. This is it. He's not going to have another intimate moment with his disciples. He's not going to have another opportunity to to stress. And you know, when when your time is short with someone, you're not just shooting the breeze. Come on. We're, We're not just talking about random. We're talking about the most important things. We're being intentional with our conversation. And he's introducing them repeatedly. John 14, 15, and 16. 17 was the prayer in the garden, and that's when they come and arrest him. 14, 15, and 16, in three consecutive chapters, he's saying, here's the Holy Spirit. Here's the helper. Here's the counselor. Here's the comforter. He's gonna teach you. He's gonna guide you. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna remind you. He's gonna show you. He's gonna be with you. He will remain. And And trust me, it's gonna feel like I'm abandoning you. It's gonna feel like I'm leaving you, but I promise you it's to your advantage that I leave so that he can come. I mean, this these are the statements he's making. And in his last hour in his last time with the disciples, the most important stuff. And he's introducing them to the one that's going to come and do what he's been doing by himself. One man is now going to come upon all believers so that we can do what Jesus did. This is what you need to know about Jesus. Jesus did not do what he did as God. If Jesus did what he did on this earth as God, you and I are, must resort to celebrating, applauding. It becomes a show. It's a performance. You and I can't participate because we're not God, are we? But Jesus didn't do what he did as God. Jesus did what he did as a man. Submitted to the Father, right? My authority will only go as far as my submission. Submitted to the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do I have any men or women submitted to the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Then John 14:12 applies: these works that I do, you will do, and even greater works, because I go to be with the Father. How? By his spirit, the governor of the kingdom of God shows up in a foreign territory and says, let me tell you how we do it back home. When we see sickness, we we rebuke it. It has to die. When we see a demonic force try to rise up, we speak the name of Jesus and it has to go. When fear tries to rise up, we cast it out because perfect love casts out all fear. When anxiety and depression tries to show up, we guard our hearts and minds through Christ. The Holy Spirit starts bringing the word in remembrance back to you. And then he starts showing you things to come. Then he starts giving you hope. Where's the hopeful people at? I'm tired of hearing, you know, it's broke and, and you know, things are just going to be. Where are the best days are ahead, people? Where are they at? These are the greatest days. These are the best days. It only gets better from here. You sound pretty crazy. I'm just talking like the homeland. I don't sound like you because I don't live according to your culture. I've got a whole other culture that the governor of that culture is teaching me and showing me and leading me and guiding me. He's reminding me that, yeah, in this world you'll have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Well, if Jesus said it, guess who else is saying it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who are we to think we can do this life without the Holy Spirit? Now, I've had people ask me, of course, do I have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Well, you're asking the wrong question. Because nothing in Scripture points us to go to heaven. Now, yes, when we die, we'll go to heaven to be separate from the body, to be present with the Lord. But Jesus was was more interested in you and I bringing heaven than going to heaven. He centered his whole ministry around it. So if you're asking, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Well, I need the Holy Spirit to bring heaven. When we start changing our focus, when we start carrying a kingdom lens, then I have a better understanding of, okay, now I see why I need the Holy Spirit. Now I need now because what because I need that teaching and I, I need that guiding and I need that reminding and I need that showing me things to come and, and I need that empowering and that equipping I need to alter my language, I need to alter my behaviors I need to alter my patterns to align with the kingdom of God I need to alter my expectations to align with the kingdom of god all all that's culture you know what else is cultural diet. Food. You ever notice that? I just gave you an example of the Babylonians that said, you used to eat that? You're over here. You're going to eat this stuff. Didn't they do that? Well, guess what? In the kingdom of God, you and I should have a different diet plan than the world does, meaning we don't consume the stuff they consume. I'm not talking about physical food. All of y'all are like, I can't eat Burger King no more. I'm not talking natural. I'm talking a spiritual diet. I'm talking about you don't, you, don't, you, you don't gorge yourself on CNN and Fox News before you go to bed, and then you stay up three hours with anxiety wondering how you're going to make it through tomorrow. Hello? We got a different diet plan. I got the word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In heaven's culture, you consume something different. You don't consume stuff that feeds fear <laughs> and anxiety. You consume the Word of God; it's life. It's medicine. It says it's life to my bones. It actually sustains me. If God stops speaking, I stop living. I live by every word that proceeds from His mouth. And the Holy Spirit's saying, "All right, here, here's the culture. Now, I know you want to listen to this. And I know you want to watch this all the time. But but let me let me show you a new diet plan over here. A Kingdom diet plan. It's different." Man, isn't this good? Acts chapter one. Hallelujah. We are in a kingdom. We have a governor in this kingdom that's guiding us into the ways of this kingdom. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about that. I'm just introducing you tonight to the person of the Holy Spirit and his role as the governor of the kingdom of God. And let me just help you understand this. You can tell who's in control by what culture you've adapted to. You can tell who's in control by what culture you've adapted to. So if we're still yielding, we're still adapting to the culture of the world. We haven't quite given over control to the governor. And he's shifting things and he's speaking and he's directing. You know, one thing I love about the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, he, he doesn't scream. He doesn't yell. He, he, he doesn't get in your face. He's just quiet, that still, small voice. Hey, don't do that. Hey, don't go there. I, let, me give you, let me give you a key ingredient to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Come back tomorrow, we'll cover it. Now I'm playing. A key ingredient to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, say yes before he speaks. He's looking for yielded vessels. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to consume and he wants to abide with, he wants to live in, he wants to dwell with, he wants to remain in forever with you. But when there's a no or when there's a well tell me first and then I'll decide if I'm going to say yes or no. You're going to find the voice of the Holy Spirit get quieter and quieter and quieter. But when you become yielded and you say speak lord your servant is listening. Holy Spirit wherever you lead me I'm going. I'm you'll have Clarity and revelation that you can't even contain. He will speak so clearly. Amen. Next chapter one. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're still asking, even after he's risen, even after he's, uh, you know, uh, done everything he said he would do. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive. You see that word receive? What's the prefix on that word? Re, R-E. Now, the word there, we don't use in our own language anymore. We don't say sieve anymore. But the word sieve, the back end of that, means to have. It means to have. Re means again. So what's the word mean? It means to have again. You can't receive if you haven't had before. You are, he's he's saying, you will have again the power. When what? When the Holy Spirit When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive, you will have. You know, there's other words that have sieve in it. Conceive, perceive. We've got receive. This literally means to have again. When? When the Holy Spirit. What? The power. I will receive, I will have again the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Now, I just told you that there were individuals in the Old Testament that didn't do signs and wonders and miracles without the power of the Holy Spirit. I just showed you even Jesus himself didn't do signs and wonders and miracles and ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without receiving the Holy Spirit. Now we have an example where Jesus tells his disciples to go, tarry, and wait for who? The Holy Spirit. Don't do a miracle, don't do a sign, don't do ministry, don't preach a message, don't go anywhere until you've gone in that upper room, you've waited and tarried for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he will empower you to now do the works of the kingdom. So if the men and women in the Old Testament needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, if his disciples needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry. Again, I ask, who are we to think we don't need the Holy Spirit to do ministry? And we know one chapter later, Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit shows up. They're in the upper room, 120 of them, and they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues. I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and he wants to help you pray. You know, in Romans chapter eight, Paul tells us that we can pray in the spirit, pray with the pray with the spirit. And, and, and what where we get messed up is well, I don't have the understanding. I'd rather have the spirit and, and no understanding than have the understanding and no spirit. What's that? What, what's he doing when I'm praying in the spirit? He's now helping me pray in line with the Father. I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that says that, that no one knows the mind of a man except for the spirit of a man. He says, no one knows the mind of God or the Father than the spirit of God. So when I'm praying in the spirit, you know what I'm doing? I'm praying in perfect alignment with heaven. Now I'm aligning even my prayers with the homeland, with the home nation. Come on. Now I don't have to just live and pray to the best of my natural ability, just hoping I'm getting it right. And I mean, I, come on. We've prayed and we didn't know how to pray. We've prayed and didn't know what to pray for. We we have prayed and felt so empty and futile and and useless in our prayers. But man, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you get it right every time. You pray the perfect prayer. The Holy Spirit has never missed it. And now you're praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. The governor of the kingdom says, "Let, let, 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 let me show you how we attack this thing in my nation. In my land, in my territory, that's the governor. So I'm praying in an unknown language and an unknown tongue. Why? Because when you when you change cultures, cultures and you change nation, you change language. You get a new language. And he's telling his disciples, "Do not do ministry, but when you do." When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when he's come upon you. And then he says this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's saying you even need the Holy Spirit to witness of Jesus. Now, I, 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 I have it's not difficult to tell people about the experience you've had with Jesus. I was lost, now I'm found. That's the, but apparently there's more to witnessing than we've made it out to be. It's not just sharing tracks. Witnessing about Jesus is not just in word, it's also in demonstration. And if you want to demonstrate the kingdom of God, you need the Holy Spirit. We need the empowering and the equipping. We need the governor working alongside us. We need the governor teaching us and showing us. Let me show you how we do it in the kingdom. Let me show you. This is how the world operates. Let me show you how my kingdom. Let me show you how heaven responds to this. We need the spirit of God. Acts chapter one, verse eight in the Amplified reads this way. You shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends the very bounds of the earth last verse first corinthians chapter 6 first corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 y'all doing good amen or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from God, you are not your own; you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, that the Holy Spirit literally wants to come and dwell in, and reside in, and remain in. Jesus made this statement: "I will not leave you orphans; I'll not raise you up and then leave you to figure it out for yourself." That's what an orphan is. It means you give birth, but you don't take care of it. He says, no, I'm sending someone to you that's gonna raise you up and they're gonna teach you and guide you and lead you. And, and they're gonna correct you when you get it wrong. Come on, it's called conviction, not condemnation. Conviction of by the Holy Spirit. It's one of his assignments is to convict of sin, to let us know, hey, that that's a different culture you're, you're living with. That's a different culture you're aligning with. That's a different culture that you're being an example of. Let me show you how we do it in the kingdom of God. And he comes alongside to correct. He comes alongside to strengthen. He comes alongside to empower. He comes alongside to teach, to guide, to lead, to remind, to speak on behalf of heaven. Man, I need the Holy Spirit. Just say that to to yourself. I need the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Just thank him right now. Thank him that he has sent the Holy Spirit, that he can remain with you, reside with you. You're never alone. You are never alone. Those disciples knew if I'm in a, in a pit, if I'm in a jail cell, if I'm standing before uh, uh, rulers by myself, I'm not alone. The Holy Spirit is with me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God.